Hi everyone, welcome this morning. So good to have you in church. How good was worship this morning, worshipping with our music team? Um, can we give glory to God for our worship team and, and everything that's been going on as we worship this morning? Can we just give them a round of applause? Thanks guys, really appreciate all the work. And those at the back, you're just doing such a great job helping us connect in deeper with our relationship of what it is that God would have us uh, have for us here. Um, Beautiful passage of scripture this morning, 1 Kings 19, comes beautifully after a huge fight. Has anybody had a fight lately? Feel, feel free to be brave if you've had a fight lately. If, who had a fight? Yes. Who had a fight in the car on the way to church this morning? <laughs> I drove on my own this morning, so I avoided that one, luckily. Hey, uh, let me tell you a story about my mum. Uh, for those that know me, my mum... Uh, is blind and that just adds an extra little element of glory to this story. My mum told me a story once about how she uh, was fighting with her sister one time. They were about 15. My mum and uh, her si older sister are doing the dishes uh, after dinner and uh, the older sister's washing up. My mother, who's blind, is in charge of drying, so she'll dry and um, Something was going on between them. There was a mood that set in and I can just imagine one side of the room to the other yelling and screaming in the kitchen. And my mum tells the story. She had a pot that she was drying at the time with the tea towel drying up and being blind. She, she didn't know where the older sister was, but she got so, so angry with this sister. She threw the pot. She threw the pot. So angry, such a fight broke out between these guys. I don't know the mess that was made in that moment, right? Whether she hit any other crockery, whether there was a window nearby, or even if it connected with its intended target, right? But I know this, I know that there was a fight, and I know then there was a mess, and there was disconnectedness. And everyone's walking on eggshells afterwards. Everyone's walking on eggshells and a whole heap of mess for my granddad to sort out. Um, I know for us, we've got holes in our kitchen lino in our kitchen, right, where we've accidentally dropped corningware. You know, that white crockery stuff. We've dropped it and there's scars in our floor from where we've accidentally made a misstep. It's different when it's relational though, right? Man, I'd love to have been a fly on the wall when that happened with my mum and her sister. Maybe my mum in that moment was right. Maybe she had every right to throw that pot for what had happened. Maybe she was the good guy and maybe her sister was the bad guy. But in the end, there was a fight in that moment. There was a fight, there was brokenness, and then there was a mess. And our scripture today in 1 Kings, it follows that pattern. Uh, our backstory is 1 Kings 18, which has Elijah, who's our hero. He's pitted against 450 prophets of Baal, uh, the not God, the not God Baal, 450 of them. And these are the henchmen of our story. Okay. And the leader of the bad guys is King Ahab. And this is the king of the northern kingdom. And his wife, who is Jezebel, who has come from outside of Israel to marry into the family. And she's influencing him. In chapter 18, uh, Elijah challenged them to a fight. He said, hey, if you guys and your Baal is true God, 
then let's see what happens. You create an altar, you stack some rocks up and you put some wood on top of the rocks and then you put a, uh, a sacrifice on there and we'll ask, we won't light the fire underneath the sacrifice, we'll just ask Baal to send down fire and then if the fire comes, then that's, we know your God is true. And so they did, they stacked up all these rocks and you want, you know what? No fire came. They cried out all afternoon to God, to Baal, the not God, and no fire happened. And then Elijah, he says, hang on a second, you know what, now it's my turn. I'm going to have a go. I'm going to pile up rocks and I'm going to pile up 12 stones, one for each of the children of Israel. And then I'm going to put wood on and then I'm going to put the sacrifice, a goat or whatever it was on top. And, I'm, and then he says, you know what, you guys, you think you're good? Well, my God's better. You pile this with water so that it can't even light. And they do, they pile it with water, they dig a trench so that the water fills the trench. And then God, uh, Elijah simply prays to God. And he says, God, hear my prayer. Show that you are God. And God sends down a fireball, consumes the altar, all the water in the trench and everything else. Such a powerful move of God happened in that moment. Right? And then uh, the people that go up to the mountain, the 450 prophets of Baal and all the people around them, they're, they're whipped up into a frenzy. They've seen God move powerfully. And Elijah takes all of those 450 henchmen and he takes them down into the valley and he has them executed. Let's, it, yeah, he, he kills them all. They, he puts them to the sword. All right, there's a fight and then there's brokenness and there's disconnectedness and there's a mess. He take them down to the valley and the people executed them there. When Jezebel heard what Elijah's done about 450 of her close friends and the shaming of her God, she sends a message and threatens to kill him. And this is where we pick up our text today in 1 Kings 3 and 4. Elijah runs away. He gets scared. Verse 3 says he, he's afraid. He got up and fled for his life. He came to Beersheba, which belonged to Judah. He left his mate there. He himself kept going into the wilderness and came and sat down under a solitary broom tree. And he asked that, I might, that he might die. He says, it is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors. There was a fight. There was brokenness. There's a mess. Um, for those that are visiting today, um, I'm not sure what your background of church is, uh, but from what I've heard, if you're here today, you're probably visiting from another church or whatever. Um, but from what I've heard, the impact of COVID and the different churches' handlings of it, you know, mask, no mask, mandate, no mandate. Um, the church, generally speaking, over the past little bit has had a pretty big fight about whether or not to enforce these things. Uh, the country, in dealing with COVID, has had to have some sort of a fight about, okay, how are we going to deal with this and the potential for loss of life? So there's a fight, and then there's brokenness, and there's a mess, right? Um, I know in this church, it's gone a bit further, we've also lost our lead pastor during this period, and our membership have been at odds about what the next path for us is. So in short, for here, as a church, there's been a fight. 
and there's been brokenness, perhaps there still is brokenness. Because I've got to say, you know, it's lovely to see all of your faces this morning, but there have been some that have decided to leave. And I'm sure that's not just our church. I know that it's in every context, in every church. And I'm sure that there's actually been relationships broken, potentially between family members in the dealing of actually how we're going to deal with COVID. How are we going to react to mask, no mask? How are we going to react to mandate, no mandate? All of these things. In short, there's been a fight, there's brokenness, and there's a mess. Now, I'm not going to hide this from you, right? If you're from another church, um, you've seen it in your own context. Um, perhaps this is the first time you come into a church. Um, you know, maybe the fight isn't like, oh, yeah, we'll have a fight in the church. No, no. Maybe the fight is, you know what? I've had a fight with my health. Maybe I'm actually fighting with my health. Uh, maybe the fight is between somebody at work. Maybe the fight is a part of your family members in the family sphere. But we've all been there, yeah? We've all been in a fight. Um, and sometimes we go, you know what? I just want to get on with life. I'm just going to get on with life. And we make ourselves busy and we don't give ourselves a chance to really deal with the fact that, hang on a second, we've, we've just had a huge falling out. We've all seen relationships break and then there's a mess, eggshells, that needs cleaning up. I don't believe it's a coincidence that in this passage today there's a broom tree, right? Elijah runs away, drops his mate off and he goes to the desert and he finds a solitary broom tree. I think that's symbolic for us today. And as we get to our passage um, you'll find that Elijah, as good as he is, and as much as he's the good guy of our story, he's still got some work to do. After any fight, there's a mess, there's a toll, and now he has to get back on the broom, set his life in order and start up again. I think it's the same for us um, as a church. Now that we're you know, sort of dealing with COVID, we're past COVID, maybe it's going to carry on for a little bit, but we're still going to have to do the work. We're going to have to get on the broom and start up again. Post-COVID, post-pastor's resignation, post-old friends leaving in the fallout. You know, after a bit of digging, there is such a thing as a broom bush. There is such a thing. Some uh, translations have it as a juniper tree, and that's actually close, but actually scientists these days uh, would classify it as its own Rhema rostrata, I think it is. Um, I did have a picture, but it didn't work this morning for you. But it's there in the NIV that there is a broom bush. Okay. In my modern mind, I'm not sure whether Elijah saw the slaying of 450 men as a win. I'm not sure he saw killing 450 people was a good thing. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. Whether he personally killed each of them, as it says in verse 1, or if the people around him that whipped him up in a frenzy in chapter 18 at the very end, whether the people did it for him. But in this statement, I can see his tiredness and his honesty. Is it enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I'm no better than those that came before me. I'm no better than my ancestors. 
And when we fight, sometimes we don't recognise the humanness in our opponent. You know, it might be very easy for us to cheer the death of 450 men if it's in a movie. But these are 450 men who have also stood there and seen the glory of God come down and explode upon that altar. Now, this is me being modern and it's probably bad exegesis, right? But there's a question that makes me ask. These men have also seen God move powerfully. I wonder what might have happened if they were offered grace. I wonder what might have happened if Elijah had actually just talked with them after the fight. As we keep moving through our scripture, verses 5 and 7, we see Elijah fall asleep and then be given provision that God has for him. Uh, Verse 5, then he lays down under the broom tree, falls asleep. Suddenly an angel touches him, get up and eat. Verse 6, at his head there was a cake baked on stones, jar of water he ate, drank, and he fell asleep again. The angel of the Lord came a second time, hey, get up, eat, otherwise the journey will be too much for him. Too much for you. If If you've been a Christian for a while, there's a beautiful similarity between what's about to happen to Elijah and what happened to Moses and the Israelites in the wilderness. And if you're familiar with those stories, they can bring extra depth. So for those that like to do extra study at home, go home this afternoon and read Exodus 32 to 34. The angel is sending Elijah to a place called Horeb, uh, God's mountain. And different writers of the Old Testament, depending on where they grew up, the scribes that kept rewriting the old things over and over again, depending on which school they went to, they will call this mountain a different thing. So depending on if you came from this place, it might be Horeb. But depending on if you came from another school, they would translate this place as Sinai. Yep, you know it. It, Make no mistake, this mountain in the following verses is Sinai. This is the same mountain that Noah landed on. This is the same mountain that the Ten Commandments were written on. This is the place where the first covenant between God and men was made. This is God's mountain that he's going to. As I've researched this, Horeb is all the way up in the north of uh, above Israel, uh, almost Samaria. And then the best guess at where Sinai is, is pretty much uh, just down in the Sinai Peninsula. Uh, It's about a thousand k's, a thousand k's. Modernly, you have to take a 12 hour car trip to get from that mountain to this mountain. Um, But a thousand k's. I did the sums on it. If you can do 20K a day, then it should take you about 50 days to get from there to there. That's a long journey, right? It's a long journey. He travels one day south of Beersheba. He stops. He finds this broom bush. I love how in verse 7, the angel prompts him to eat twice. Why would we need to eat twice? I think there's something in this that goes against the idea of moving forward in your own strength. I'm not going to just push through this in my own strength. Um, And I want to labour on this for a second here. We might try and pull ourselves up by the britches after a fight. Maybe we're going to plough on ahead uh, with brokenness and mess all around us. We're just going to plough on, perhaps even miss the perspective of those who are fighting against us. And we're just going to carry on regardless. But here we see a different picture worth copying. One meal for our regular sustenance and one meal that is actually, it's not by our power, it's God sustaining us as we go through life. 
It's not by our power, but actually we're going to be sustained by the Lord God as we move to the next place. And we pray that, don't we, in our prayers. Lord God, give us this day our daily bread. That we might have sustenance to overcome the next season, not even knowing. Elijah doesn't even know where he's going yet. He's just going on a journey. Or how he's going to move forward. But simply that as we move forward, we do it enabled by God. So as we clean up the mess, as we write the house, as we pick up the pot, we put it back on the pot stand. As we write the mess, where does our strength come from to just do that simple task? Sometimes it's hard. I don't want to go pick up the mess. I just want to leave it there. I don't even want to look at the mess. Actually, we need the strength, and the strength's got to come. You can either do it from your own strength, or you can rely on another strength. 19 verse 8 says, He got up, he ate, and he drank, and then he went in the strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights to the mountain of God. At the place he came to a cave. The Hebrew for a cave is skewy. It could be a cave or it could be the cave. And he spent the night there. Then the word of the Lord came to him saying, what are you doing here, Elijah? You know, he moves under the power of God's sustenance. He moves through the wilderness like the Israelites before him. Through the wilderness, it's a time of sifting, a time for reflection and time for your ensuring that you're up for the challenge. Nobody walks through a desert for 40 days unless they're committed to the task, right? What happens after a fight? What happens when the thing that you've lent on for so long has left? Well, the thing that you're fighting against has given way and you might have actually won the fight. How do you choose what to do next? Because, you know, sometimes you get into these huge battles and actually you realise, hang on, this person that I'm fighting has actually made me a better person. Or actually, maybe that person's deciding, I'm going to break relationship now, and I'm going to go. And then you're here, and you're on your own. And you're in the wilderness. Well, what am, I, what am I going to do now? I don't have anybody to fight with. I don't have anybody to make me stronger. I wonder what the boxers are like. You know, they get the world title heavyweight belt, and they get the best, and then they're the best. And yeah, they hold up the belt, and they go, hang on, who am I going to, who am I going to fight with now? And life loses meaning. I think that happens with swimmers. And, uh, yeah, you know it, all about that sports stuff. Anyway, um, back on track. What happens when you win the fight? Like Elijah did, he won the fight. But actually at a cost that scars his soul. You know, is 40 days, is that enough to recoup strength? And then the question, what are you doing here, Elijah? 40 days of soul-searching... He climbs the mountain and finds the very cave Moses sat in all those years before. And at the end of that period of time, wandering, you know, that's a long time to think on your own as you're walking through the desert. God asks him the question that nobody wants to answer when they've been in the wilderness. God prompts him. He says, hey, hey, you've been quiet. What's going on? It's kind of good being on your own. I like being on my own. I want to be on my own. I don't want to talk to anyone. Hang on. Hey, what's going on? What are you doing here, Elijah? 
For those that have uh, an eye for the prophetic voice in the Bible, this is it here, the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord. This came to Elijah. Normally when you hear the word of the Lord, it's a proclamation against those not doing the right thing by God. But here though, the question that's being asked is more of of a prophetic question. Hey, what are you doing here, Elijah? And it's repeated in verse 13. Because the answer that Elijah gives, it's, it's perhaps a little bit less than what's expected of somebody who has an established relationship with God. And he says in verse 10, he says, I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, because the Israelites, they've forsaken your covenant. They've thrown down your altars and they've killed your prophets with the sword. And they killed him, not me. Uh, I alone am left. And now they're seeking my life to take it away. He's saying, God, I did all this stuff for you. I thought it was what you wanted. And now that I've had this fight, I'm sitting in this broken place. I'm suffering for it. What's going on? Why are people trying to kill me? Remember here, the people that followed Elijah and the Baal worshippers, the not God worshippers, up the mountain in chapter 18. These are Elijah's countrymen that were around. And they were also following the Baal worshippers. They were doing that before Elijah stood up for the true God. And so it was Elijah who prompted the fight. He won it, but actually now he knows that he's destabilized his country. He's destabilized the status quo of the community, the state. He knows now actually a new vision is going to need to be cast in the vacuum of power to bring everybody back on board with where God would have them go. But actually, it's not going to happen if Elijah's sitting there in a cave despondent, is it? I alone am left and they're seeking my life to take it away. Man, sometimes we need a glimpse of the bigger picture. Sometimes we need a glimpse of the bigger picture. And actually, that's what God's going to do for Elijah in the next couple of minutes. What follows this verse is the stereotypical elements of God's appearance in the Old Testament. There's a great wind that splits mountains and it parts seas and it crushes rock. There's an earthquake and a fire. For those that are taking notes, check out Exodus 19, Exodus 20, Deuteronomy 4, Deuteronomy 5, Judges 5, Isaiah 30, Nahum number 1, Psalm 18, Psalm 68. But in each case, we're told, hang on, the Lord was not in these things. Verse 11, now there was a great wind, but the God was not in the wind. Uh, There was an earthquake, the Lord was not in the earthquake. There was a fire, the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of sheer silence. Here's Elijah. Looking at these things, go past him as he's sitting in this cave, right? And the question, would you recognize God if you saw him? Would you recognize God if you saw him? Moments of trial, they bring about huge moments of huge God moments, right? I go through a trial and in that trial, I come to recognize what God is or who God is to me through this trial. It's almost like the consuming the altar in chapter 18. It's just child's play, right? 
compared to what we see with this earthquake. Huge earthquake. See the fire, not in the fire. And we might be wowed. Oh, yeah, it's the big things that God's acting in. But hang on a second. We see here that it's in the quiet spaces that after a fight that God is actually able to move. Would you be able to recognise God's presence in the aftermath? And here we've got a beautiful picture. Elijah wraps up his face. He humbles himself. He recognises God in that moment. Sitting in the mess, are we able to humble ourselves after a fight? Seeking after God for what is best moving forward. We're told he wraps his face and he hears this sound. It's not just a prophetic word in his head, but this is an, a relational word coming out of the ether. Sheer silence, a voice. That sound word in uh, Hebrew, it's Paul. Um, it can be translated as either no, um, noise or sound or voice. And he hears God's voice, relational voice, in that Space, physical in its effect, relational. It's interesting that our lectionary takes us to 15a today. It doesn't go further down into what God's response is. And I want us to sort of finish on 15 as well, but I need to tell you about 18 because that's what what is what he's told to do or what God says to him. But so I'm just going to tell you what 15 says and then I'm going to tell you what 18 says anyway. Okay, but, um, And so what does he say in the first half of 15? What does God say when he actually listens to God? He, he recognises God, wraps his face up. What does God say? God says, hang on a second, go back the way you came. Go back to the wilderness the way you've came. And that's where our reading ends. Go. You've reconciled these things from that fight that you've had, you've reconciled these things within yourself in the wilderness. You, you, you went through the low. You've reconciled them with yourself in the wilderness. You've reconciled them now before God because you've brought them to God. Now it's time to come back through the wilderness. You've had that moment of, okay, have I looked at the other perspective? Have I done all these things? Now it's time to go back. Hang on a second. How do you make right what was wrong? How do you make right what was wrong? You don't know what the best way is sometimes to make right what was wrong. And so it's a wilderness again. You've got to go back through the wilderness to get into the right path. Okay, in 18, Elijah gets from God. This is the bit that I'm not meant to tell you about, but hey, what Elijah gets is not a reprimand. God, they're all over there. I don't like it. Anymore. No, no. He doesn't get a reprimand. He gets marching orders. Go. Go. Simple. At this time, after this time of sifting, after his realisation of, hang on a second, we've had a fight and things have to change, and even when he's still half stuck in his old mindset, God speaks. And he's not commended for his zeal. He's not commended for being, you know, I've been very zealous, God, he says, 
God doesn't say anything about that, doesn't care. Maybe he does. Doesn't say anything about that. Uh, Israel's apostasy. All those Israelites, they worship Baal and it's not good and I'm trying to stand for you. He doesn't, he doesn't say anything about that either. God doesn't reprimand or doesn't speak into that. And now they're chasing after me and I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, they're going to try and kill me. And God doesn't even say, you know what, you'll be safe. He doesn't even say, you know what, you'll be okay. What does he tell him? Go. Back through the wilderness. It's time to actually start cleaning up. Clean up. Just clean up the mess. Start somewhere. Get on the broom. Uh, there's a commentator named Farris, and Farris writes, remarkably, neither the experience... Sorry, let me start that again. Remarkably, it's neither the experience of God's dramatic nor quiet presence for which so many long for in the midst of such feelings. But it's in attending to the work at hand and needing to be done through which life is renewed. Remarkably, it's neither in the experience of God's dramatic nor quiet presence for which so many long in the midst of their suffering or such feelings. But it's actually in attending to the work at hand and needing to be done through which life is renewed. So it's time to clean up. For us here in the church, it's time to put things right that fell over during COVID. Maybe they'll be the same, maybe they won't. But you start with the pot. Not walking on eggshells anymore. It's time to patch wounds in the fabric. Time to talk it out amongst the membership about what needs to change and perhaps what needs to stay the same. As we come to a close, right? As, I'm, as we're nearly there. As we're finishing up. For your personal life. If you've been in a situation where you've been in a fight in your work or in your family sphere, have you had a moment of grieving for what's been lost in that moment? Have you had a moment walking through the wilderness? Hang on, maybe I'm not right. Maybe the other person's right. Maybe actually I need to consider that perspective. Finally, have you taken it to God? Did you like the answer? People keep asking me, what does I see for the vision of the church moving forward? And I know that I've shared a vision of what I believe might be possible with the leadership over the past few months, right? And I know some of the ongoing frustrations that have caused the need for change and the cause for some people to actually move on from this church. Based on this passage for us today, I actually think there's a new vision that's forming and it's a vision that's informed by the people who are praying and it's a vision that's informed by the people who are seeking after God in the wilderness together. Asking God, hey God, what's the next step? And so I want to continue to encourage our people here to join us in prayer 
And let's engage in this wilderness experience of searching through the next steps. If you're from another church, if your church is going through the same problem, for those that are watching online later on, if your church is going through the same problem, you're in the wilderness and that's okay. God's got something for you. I know for us here, we're going to be continuing to search through the next steps. Thursday nights, 6.40pm, all through winter, we are going to be praying. It's been great to pray so far, lift up our friends and our family, ask God for the direction of the church, have vision cast by old men who see visions, young men have dreams, or is it the other way around? I want to hear these prophetic voices and thoughts so that our church can move forward together. I loved praying this morning uh, in the little side chapel area there with a couple of the other lads. 9.30, we're praying before the service. How are we going to clean up if we're not empowered by God's strength and provision? Give us this day our daily bread. Where does it start? It starts with relationship with God. I love the pattern that we see in our scripture here today. It's a great response and perhaps the only right response to the aftermath of a fight. And that follows the pattern of taking space, taking time to reflect on the brokenness, wandering in the wilderness of what's next, bringing it to God for reviewed vision, renewed vision. We're, um, we're going to sing a song after we close up. And in that song, um, it talks about laying the treasures or our crowns at the foot of the cross. Uh, so I'll cherish the old rugged cross till my trophies, that's the word, till my trophies I lay down. My trophies I lay down. When I win a fight, I'm going to lay them at Christ's feet. When I die, when I, when I lose a fight, I'm still going to lay whatever it is before Christ's feet because that's the only right response. And it's relationship with God through Jesus that's at the crux of all of this. Let me pray. Uh, let me pray to finish. God, our refuge and hope. Oh God, when race or status or gender divide us, when COVID masks or no masks divide us, Lord God, when despondency and despair haunt and afflict us, when community lies shattered, Lord, I pray that you would comfort and convict us with the stillness of your presence. And Lord, that we might confess all that you have done, all that you have done through Christ, to whom we belong and in whom we are one. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. Thanks, team.